0: You're listening to Paranormal Portal on Revolver Podcasts. All right, everybody, welcome to the Paranormal Portal podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful night, and thank you so much for tuning in and supporting all that we're doing here on the podcast. It's uh, been amazing. You guys have been amazing out there uh, checking us out and subscribing and downloading, and um, it's just a real, real pleasure. Uh, of course, I'm your host, Brent Thomas. This is the Paranormal Portal podcast, and uh, once again, special thanks to Revolver Podcast for making all this possible. Um, We're going to talk about a different kind of haunting, and this is, it's bad enough when there's a a haunted part of your house. Like, a lot of times hauntings will just primarily be in an area of your house. Most of the activities in X room, or in the basement, or in the attic, or something, you know. But other times the entire house is haunted. Sometimes it's an entire piece of property that's haunted, but what about when it's an entire village And what does it take to make a whole village haunted? And that's some discussion we're going to get into tonight here on the portal. So I hope you guys are all set. What does it take for a village to get haunted? What's going on in these situations where entire, uh, you know, like ghost towns, for instance, you know, what is it about these locations where the entire place seems to hold some kind of paranormal activity. What is going on or what did go on? And traditional thinking would be like, well, there must have been something horribly tragic that affected the entire community. And that is possible. But could it be that some locations are more prone to recording residual events than others? And in some of these haunted locations... When, when they're having a whole villages that are haunted, are these just something about that area? Whether it's maybe a higher quartz contents in the soil. Maybe it's uh, running water and limestone and, you know, creating uh, geomagnetic fields that can easily record residual events and replay them. Or is it ley lines, per in, for instance? What are these factors that go on in these ghost villages that create entire community areas of of paranormal activity. So are they all intelligent haunts? Are, you know, are they mostly residual? And I I would, I would tend to guess that most of the, the, the whole, you know, ghost town things are mostly residual. Not that there couldn't be intelligent uh, entities hanging around and being, being there, but I think that primarily a lot of the activity is residual. It's echoes from the past that are just replaying and replaying for some reason. So I'm not sure what those reasons are, but I find it very interesting. Let's get into some of these tales. And again, I think that a lot of these activities are probably residual, but let's see what these stories are all about that are being reported here. So the first one's coming out of Indiana in the U.S. Okay, so it says, this story has been handed to me. Uh, So it's not my story, but in a sense, now it's been handed to you. Um, it was given to me by my elder brother and sister who both when questioned separately stated the same details to my recollection. I've not done a recent questioning to verify this, but I assume, uh, uh, in any case, but I assume in any case, I find it interesting and I hope you will as well. Me too. As children, my older brother and sister would sometimes make use of the forest nearby their home. This for those who are curious was before I was born my brother and sister are quite a bit older than I am, and playing there from time to time. And I believe I, I'm unsure if they did for certain play there, but they did at the very least have to enter on one occasion. Unfortunately, they did not know the terrain well. Our father, who was, <laughs> geez, who is not the brightest, nor is he very responsible, had taken on the task of caring for a friend's feline, a cat. Uh, the cat, while under his care, managed to escape. And fearing his friend's response to the fact that the animal had gone missing, missing he sent out a search party. At least I assume this was his logic, <laughs> aka my brother and sister. Their destination, the woods. My brother and sister set out to find the cat, and more than likely against their will, but determined nonetheless, they wardened further, uh, wandered rather, further and further into the woods, searching and searching and they came upon uh, They came up empty-handed, not a, no, no cat at all. It was beginning to get dark, and they didn't have much time, so continuing the search, they wandered between a pair of trees and into the broken, ghostly remains of what they referred to as a village. There wasn't much, the frames of old buildings perhaps lost long ago in a fire, and the empty remains were at least the least of their worries. As it was getting darker, they began to head back, but wait. The direction in which they came simply led them right back into the remains of the village. Around and around they went, but ended right back in the village. Until it hit them, the two trees. They began looking for the same two trees through which they had entered. At least, at last they found them, and they walked once again between the two trees, and as if by magic passed back to their path home. They could only enter the village and likewise leave by walking between these specific trees. As it became darker, they finally arrived home safe and as it turns out, the cat had been hiding at home all along. But their quest to find the cat led them into the strange place that I'm sure they will never forget. Perhaps it's a portal to a place in the past. Who knows? And I doubt that anyone ever will. I don't really think that that's a... Uh, ghostly village, but, uh, that's what they build it as. Now it is an interesting story though. Um, and again, we've talked many times on the show about the possibility of there being natural portals and they could be, uh, again, triggered by, um, overlapping of dimensions. They could be just some quirky, uh, of quirk of reality in these specific locations that maybe the, the geomagnetic, uh, uh triggers in that area would cause something like that to happen where you know there could be a time space anomaly and we've covered other stories in the past on the show about the the one that comes to mind initially is this woman was uh doing in a paranormal investigation with a photographer friend of hers and uh they went to a cemetery and it was renowned to be very haunted And the woods around the cemetery, it was kind of an isolated cemetery, were also rumored to have lots of ghost lights and things like that. So they went in there, and uh, they started looking around and and had some activity and such, but then they started noticing ghost lights in the trees. And so they ventured into the trees. Now, the woods surrounding the cemetery were only maybe 100 yards uh, thick all around the thing. It wasn't like it was a vast (laughs) wilderness, and it was in a metropolitan area or in a... uh, you know, around a city or a town. So it wasn't like in the, in the far reaches of, of, uh, you know, some desolate tundra. So they went out in these woods and they're kind of following these lights around and looking and looking. And suddenly they realize that they have not really any idea where they are and they walk and walk and walk and cannot find their way back to the cemetery, which would mean back to their car. She tried using her cell phone. It didn't work. They wandered in every direction, circled around, and didn't even see their own footsteps in the snow that had fallen. They were absolutely stuck and seemed to be in some kind of weird time-space loop, so to speak. They could not... Now, again, these forests weren't that wide. They weren't that broad. It wasn't just like acres and acres of wilderness around the cemetery. It was just maybe 100 yards of, of forest land around this cemetery. But they could not... They tried walking in a straight direction right through to hopefully get to the road that suits around it and they'd have a little longer walk around to get back to their car but it was the winter time they were getting cold they were getting scared and then suddenly um i i don't remember what the trigger was but suddenly something changed and they felt it and they made a couple of turns and they were back in the cemetery it was like no big deal and they it, it was just like they were suddenly transported into, you know, <laughs> the, the Yosemite National Park or something. They were just so far. I mean, not like the trees and stuff changed. That's not what I'm saying. But the forest didn't end when it should have. And it continued and continued and continued and continued. So that would be kind of a similar anomaly to this that is mentioned in the story. And that helps me to give credibility to this story because when you hear phenomena repeated by two very different people, two very different situations, and having a similar type of phenomena present itself, to me, that lends it credibility. Now, it could just be somebody heard about this other story, or the other story heard about this story, and created another one. I'm not saying that's not beyond the scope of reason or possibility, but if we take them at face value, there there might be something to this, <clears throat> and there might just be these quirks of reality around. And uh, I, I didn't share it on my a walk in my shoes, but... I believe I went through a portal once too and skipped a whole area of bad road that I should have had to go through uh, during a blizzard. And it was very treacherous, but for some reason I went right past it and, and my son was with me, my eldest son. And I'm really glad he was because it was, such a, it was such a weird experience to have just suddenly missed this whole, you know, two miles of road was just gone. And it's like, we just went from here to here in in an instant. Didn't feel anything, didn't feel any transition. It was just suddenly, there was a, a, a sign for the town that should have been miles away. And, uh, and the town shouldn't have come up until after we went through this really treacherous, slippery, uh, not a mountain pass, but kind of similar. This was back in Minnesota, but it was during a blizzard. It was just treacherous as hell. But we missed that whole area. It was just a straight shot, and boom, we were in the town. That defies all reason, but my son noticed it As well as me. It wasn't just me going, hey, did you see that? What happened? And then me explaining it to him him going, oh, yeah, I saw that too. It was him going, dad, what just happened? This doesn't make sense. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you said that because I don't understand either. (laughs) Very cool experiences. But uh, I do believe these these anomalies are out there, ladies and gentlemen. And I think people experience them maybe more often than they realize. And maybe they aren't as grand as, you know, missing a, a patch of treacherous road. Maybe they're just getting lost suddenly, and it's like, I should have known this area. How did I get lost? Maybe these people that are getting turned around in places they should know are experiencing a smaller version of the same event. Perhaps these little hiccups of reality are all over the place. And again, they aren't hiccups. They are the breadcrumbs. They are demonstrating a more dynamic reality, I believe. So take it or leave it. It is what it is. Okay everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break. So don't go away and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. <laughs> hey guys, Brent Thomas here, the Paranormal Portal podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it. You might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash paranormal dash portal. And you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in now this one is coming out of russia after a couple months searching we finally found a new place to live within the city of Vladivostok. i'm just doing my best to pronounce that I don't know, It's like sounds like me falling down the stairs, but I don't speak Russian, so I don't know <laughs> how it should sound. But it looks like that. So, we wanted to be near both of our jobs and in the proximity to at least a few stores, and neither of us owned a car, so we found an apartment flat near the city's trolley network, and it seemed like the best of both worlds. The building was brand new in one of the high-rise apartment blocks under construction all over the city. Um... And as we were touring with the building manager, he took us through a several flat layouts, uh, which are apartments to us uh, Americans, but including uh, one-bedroom, two-bedroom, etc., and there was no paint on the walls yet, just rock and the random spatter of plaster covering screw holes here and there. We found a corner unit on the 10th floor with a view of the nearby park, and, and we completed all the necessary paperwork, and now... We just had to work out all the out the move-in schedule. I thought it said movie schedule. I was like, "What move-in schedule?" And wait for the apartment to be finished. I ended up staying in the city midweek at the same tiny hotel where we had been staying following our last move out. And Ludia spent much of her time in Babushka's Dasha in the country, taking the forty-five-minute train ride back and forth to her job. On weekends, we'd meet up there and spend time together, and it wasn't ideal, but it was temporary, and we were making it work. The short fall season had come to a close, and winter was already setting harshly across the coastline. Daytime temperatures dropped from the comfortable 15 Celsius during the days to about 5, and it froze every night. We started to make plans for the long, complicated winter holidays, which are so uniquely Russian. The first of these being... The Feast of St. Nicholas in the early December, and if I had to relate it to any American holiday, I'd probably say it's like Thanksgiving, mostly revolving around a large family meal. As the snows began to blanket the Primorsky territory, Ludia and I spent more and more time exploring the area around Babushka's village. The forest was absolutely breathtaking, covered in snow, like something from a fairy tale. Uh, massive groves of pine, deep greens mixed with sharp white snow, picturesque icy ponds, and random deer and wildlife running around as they've done since life evolved in that ancient place. And one of the places both Ludia and I wanted to visit was the Dead Village, which several villagers had told us about. No one could remember the official name of the town, and it had been abandoned since about 1930. One villager told that it was vacated due to a massive influenza outbreak. Another told us it was abandoned due to the risk of sinkholes, which threatened to swallow the entire village at any moment. Babushka didn't say much about it, but when, we, when we'd when we asked. It is dead, she would say. Would it make it less dead if you knew why? <laughs> that's a nice. That's nice. <laughs> it was uh, easy enough to locate. Two villages had once been sister towns, and There was still the rough outline of a country road which connected both locations. Easiest access was always by horseback, which was, itself, a new experience for me. Ludia drove while I sat behind her, and the journey was a bit slow going through the light, fluffy snow. And we had to stop several times, and finally around noon, we came to the remains of a checkpoint. These cookie-cutter checkpoints were classic to the early Soviet Union, and they provided a sort of guard post and emergency stopping location in case travelers needed help along the road. They were painted bright blue and could hold a couple militia, uh, Soviet police troops. Several of the old posts were still visible around other villages in the area, and though they had been long abandoned, this one was still little more than an outline as the ceiling had obviously collapsed decades ago, allowing the wooden skeleton to rot and fall. The village itself was a ghost, and you could make out where the roads had once been. By the tree lines, there was a few twisted frames in what looked like horse-drawn wagons, or farming equipments, it's hard to tell, but after 90 years, there wasn't much left that hadn't been claimed by the trees, and, or been blasted to dust by the harsh winters. The entire area was completely still, and the only sound coming from the feet of our horse as we made our way through the frozen remains of the town. Around the corner from a massive live oak, we found a stone house, unlike the other wooden structures, which had all been reclaimed by the forest. This building stood mostly intact. The front-facing windows were lined in stained glass, which Ludia Ludia said meant it was most likely the country home of some aristocrat, probably repurposed after its former owner was arrested or shot in the revolution. We stopped, dismounted, and explored the exterior of the ruins, and one of the outer walls had collapsed and gave us full access to the first floor. Looking upward, a floodlight filtered down through the rotten floorboards, nothing blocking it out as the roof was completely gone over the first room. It says a flood of light. I said a floodlight. Sorry. I was like, what? How's there a floodlight? The narrow rays of light played tricks on the shadows, making it look like the walls were moving, dancing as we passed by, and as we walked through the main entryway, uh, Ludia took several steps up what remained of the stairwell and stopped. I was distracted looking at what appeared to be bullet holes in the plaster near the front door, and Ludia called my names a few times before I finally heard her and passed back around to where she was standing. She was frozen in place, her foot actually hanging where it had stopped. As she had prepared to step up, her eyes were locked on a dark area just through a crooked doorway at the top of the stairs. Do you see it? she asked me in a whisper. See what? I asked her back. I stared up at the open doorway, straining my eyes to make out anything, but there was only blackness. There's someone standing there, looking at us. She motioned with her hand as she she said it. Moving closer to Ludia, I took position directly next to her, standing on the same step. Nothing. I took another step up the wooden stairways. Uh, The stairs were spongy and giving way more than I liked, but at about the fifth step, I stopped. I could see something. Perhaps what she was talking about. It had a shape, and it was roughly the size and outline of a man. The edges weren't clear, so it was hard to make out an exact size and the dimensions, but the form was a dark, smoky gray against the black of the hallway behind it. It definitely appeared to be watching us, standing or floating or whatever you'd call it, just at the top of the steps. I stood there, dumbfounded. I'd never seen anything like that before. My mind churned over the possibilities, but I was aware of a nagging fear as well. Something told me I should leave. But I couldn't turn my attention away, and Ludia called out to the figure from behind me asking who or what it was. The sound of her voice is what it took to snap me back from my transfixed stare. Back down the stairs, I took her hand and directed her a few steps backward towards our entry point. We should go, I said to her, and she agreed. Before we moved on, however, she raised her camera from its place around her neck and snapped a photo. The intense light of the flash shocked my eyes, and it took several seconds for them to recover. And when they had, I returned my gaze to the stairwell, and the figure was gone. We made our way back out of the ruins into the horses, and for the ride back, we couldn't stop talking about this day. And when I close my eyes and think back to it, I can picture things so clearly. Babushka, as usual, was not impressed when we told her what we saw. Nezvanya Gosti, she said to us. Even ghosts hate uninvited guests. <laughs> Good story. I like that one. I, again, it's only one building in a, in a dilapidated town that seemed to have a presence. It wasn't the whole village. Um, I'm, I'm really more interested in the whole idea of, of whole towns that have, you know, the ghost town uh, that we know so well in the U.S. here. But uh, I don't know. It's still a good story. Still a good story. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break. So don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. <laughs> All right, everybody, and we're back, and we're back at it here on the Paranormal Portal podcast. Buckle up, we're going in. The next one is the haunted village house. So again, this one is just about one building in a village, I guess. But I started living with my grandparents about four years ago, without knowing how uh, how that would change me and my thinking forever. We live in a small village in West Serbia, and it's the kind of place where Everyone knows each other. At first, I didn't notice anything strange. I started hearing footsteps going up the stairs and faint slamming of the windows. I dismissed all of that until one morning, I couldn't find my shirt for school, and we searched the entire house, and we found it in the long room spread out on a cradle. Now, just for the record, there is one large room across from my bedroom that we call the long room, and it mostly contains stuff we don't use anymore. Also, know that I'm the only one on the floor, and there are three rooms, my bedroom, another bedroom, and the long room. My grandparents are sleeping downstairs. After that, I started being afraid. One night, three friend, three of my friends, D, N, and M, were sleeping over, and we were on the balcony drinking coffee when something in my room slammed and fell. We just dismissed it and continued talking, and after a while... I went to the bathroom, and as I was going down the stairs, I heard footsteps going behind me. And when I was going upstairs, I heard it again. I told my friends, and they thought I was trying to prank them, but at that moment, something was heard from my bedroom. The sound was as things were flying and smashing, and we were too scared to go in and see. We were 17 at the time, and it was about a year ago. It was 3 a.m., and when we braved to go in, everything was in its place. No things were smashed or moved, but as I entered the hallway, everything became very quiet, and I felt breathing down my neck. We ran out to the balcony and locked ourselves out there until 7 a.m. when we felt safe to get in. I won't tell you every occurrence, but I will tell you another one. I I was left home alone once, and I suddenly heard uh, what sounded like a female voice downstairs. I got scared, but I didn't want to think too much about it. And Out of the corner of my eye, I saw books stacked on my desk move slightly. When I turned my attention to them, they just fell down. I quickly called my friend, and he told me to get out of there. I <laughs> felt too scared to do so. Only when I heard my dogs bark intensely, I ran down the stairs to check on them. When I looked through the window, I saw them all sleeping while I still heard the barking. Suddenly the barking stopped and some kind of scream was heard from the hallway. My friend told me to get inside now, and the terrified told him that I am inside. And I was heading to go up the stairs. The same scream was heard from the room of my dead great-grandmother. Later when my grandparents came home, I found out the clocks in the house stopped at 1.55 p.m. the same time they left the house. Yeah, that's a pretty intense thing. Now, auditory phenomenon happens a lot. You can hear that repeated over and over in the paranormal. Um, sounds like you know the dishes in the in the, the entire kitchen full of dishes is just smashing, and people are alarmed and they go to check it out and there's absolutely nothing amiss. It's just normal. So they they seem to be able to create these auditory hallucinations. Um, I'm not, I don't know what to think about that. I, I don't know that I've heard anything like that, nor do I want to. I mean, I'm certainly not encouraging such things, but, uh, you know, it it is pretty amazing that they can manipulate the sounds that we hear. And I suppose when you think of sound, it is just the vibrating of molecules of of air and gases and stuff, so perhaps it doesn't take a lot of energy for them to create sounds. Um, You know, it's just, uh, you know, if they are indeed energetic then creating sound is probably uh, a lot easier than moving a dish because you only have to vibrate a certain section of molecules to create the wave that would spread out. So very interesting, Um, but crazy, crazy stuff for sure. This next one is, uh, has to do with an office building. So this is kind of a similar thing. It's coming out of New York and, uh, it's uh, from this year as well, March of this year, so cool, cool story. We work in the uh, uh, Garment District of uh, Manhattan, where many generations of office workers have come and gone, and accidents have happened throughout the years. And Directly across from my boss's office is an abandoned floor space, which has not had attendance uh, since we moved in here five years ago. Every once in a while when I'm in meetings with him, I notice workers shuffling across the empty office space and some clothes that look dated. and They're flesh and blood, nothing ethereal at all. They, they look absolutely physical, move and take up space, the same as colleagues on the floors above and below them. And I always assumed that they were contractors or construction workers looking to remodel the space, and I was usually too busy with what my boss is saying to think much about it. The other day I was in my morning meeting and I noticed that one of them, a young gentleman seemingly in his 20s or 30s, had an appearance that looked a little bit off. As I looked directly at him, staring out the window, I thought for a split second that I could see through him. Then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I've been seeing ghosts every day for the last five years. Since the building is a pre-war and likely industrial, if I'm, if I'm a ghost, uh, that's likely to be the place I want to hang out in. Is it possible for ghosts can be shuffling around an office working like they did in life and appear like that all day, every day? Could this have been an industrial accident or disaster that is somehow leading them to keep haunting the space? What could I be seeing? And is it possibly paranormal? This has been weighing on my mind all weekend. Now, to me, what this, what this story demonstrates more probably is, again, the, the whole idea of residual, residual energy. So, these old buildings, I don't know what it was made out of. Um, again, ladies and gentlemen, limestone has a high quartz contents and is, is really cited by a lot of parapsychologists as, uh, you know, one of the necessary factors to really amplify paranormal activity. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess it's certainly possible. Um, but it's, it's comes up a lot in, uh, you know, old, old houses that there's a lot of limestone and these old buildings, if it's a pre-war building, it could very well be limestone as well. And, uh, if, if limestone is indeed a great recorder of, uh, energetic impressions, what this person was probably seeing was just an imprint of these people going about their day. Um, it doesn't always have to be something horrible or tragic to create that imprint. And what he was watching over and over were these, you know, recordings. Now it didn't sound from the, from the narrative of his story, he didn't seem to see repetitive actions by anything, you know, meaning that he didn't see at a certain point, some male person would be walking on a certain path and that would repeat every day. You know, or he would meet somebody and have a quick talk and then, you know, both go their own way. So he never made, made any observation of it being repetitive actions. So it's, it's possible that it's actually spiritual entities hanging out. But it seems more likely to me that it's a residual kind of impression that just is replaying out. Or perhaps he's more sensitive than he knows, he or she. I don't know if it's a, a guy or a girl, but... Um, very interesting story, very cool story. Those are very powerful. But this is, uh, you know, it's kind of par for the course. But since there was no real interaction at all, I mean, it didn't, like, look over at him in his office and wave or anything. So, I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't show that it was intelligent by what this person is describing. So it does sound more residual to me. All right, the next one is uh, coming from India. And these can be tough. Uh, again, I, I, I have a hard time sometimes reading some of these stories from around the world, because you know sometimes they use very regional figures of speech or you know cultural references that I don't understand, but I'll do, I'll do my best. Hopefully this one's well written. <laughs> so I didn't read it ahead of time, so we're both going to find out. Um, all right, this is not my experience but my brothers. So first, let me explain to you about my family and the location we lived for a better understanding. My family consists of five people uh, i I, my parents, my two elder brothers, and so for a few years we lived in a village called uh really Kaza Nagar, Kagaz Nagar, Nagar. that's the best I can throw at it, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope that sounds kind of close. Known uh, India's paper mill near Ali. Ad- Adilabad district. We live there due to my dad's transfer, and my whole family is very spiritual, and also believe in ghosts. So it was two thousand and one. I was not yet born. My elder brother, who experienced this, was in ninth grade. I was. I, it was the month of Ramadan, um, and I don't know if y'all are familiar with uh, the Islamic traditions, but Ramadan changes. It's not like Christmas or new years it it's 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 a certain number of uh uh cycles or seasons uh and uh, moon cycles or whatever and every year they decide when ramadan will be throughout that year so it usually is uh, kind of a migrating holiday but anyway just to give you a little background it's not just like thanksgiving is always you know in november well ramadan isn't it could be any time of the year throughout a period of years so all right, so I, don't, I just thought <laughs> I'd throw that in there. I guess it makes me sound smart. I don't know. I hope you learned something. <laughs> um, so it, it was, it, the village was a quite remote village, and my mom made some delicious food and told my brother to give some to our neighbor, our neighborhood, rather. So my brother was standing out at the gate. Suddenly he saw some men who were dressed in white outfits a little ways away, "'and were playing on the road, and they were above the ground. "'Suddenly one of them turned towards him "'and started laughing and came running towards him. "'He started to run wherever he can "'and turned back, and there was no one there. "'My mom came out and saw my brother a few meters away "'and called him, and he was sweating profusely and fainted. "'The next morning he woke up, suffered from a high fever,' and did not see them again, but was very scared, and whenever he goes out at night, he holds my dad's hand. My mom claimed that they were jinn, and were sighted by many villagers. I've also experienced a few incidences, which I might share later. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that really... (laughs) I didn't really end up with any good whole village stories, did I? (laughs) Uh, This one I'm going to read. I'm going to read a different one. So this is coming from the UK, actually from 2012. It was um, recorded, but I don't know if that's when it happened, but let's read it. Belfast in the late 1960s played host to one of the most bizarre paranormal occurrences that I have yet to hear of. My mother, Maura, and her younger sister, Colette, were the witnesses. This event occurred just before the onset of the, quote, troubles, which were a period of political and social unrest. The story begins with a bus journey. Moran and Colette were heading into the city center, and the, uh, and the bus at the time traveled along the Donegal Road. The exact position, using modern-day landmarks, is where the roundabout linking the M1 is located. During this time period, The roundabout was still under construction, and for some unknown reason, the bus services turned at the bottom of the street. Moran and Colette began their journey by leaving their home, which was located just above the Donegal Road roundabout, and they walked past it. On their left-hand side, they observed a series of little, whitewashed cottages, and as they headed towards the city center. The cottages in question were pristine and decorated in a distinctly old-fashioned way. I'm not referring to simply the decor of a bygone decade, but perhaps the previous century. They had one truly distinctive feature, and that was bright pink frames that lined the windows. At the time, the windows were being carefully scrubbed and polished by quite unexceptional women who, upon passing, greeted them with a cheerful, Hello, how are you? And nice day, isn't it? That was a common practice among the polite and friendly folk of Northern Ireland. As a common theme, right through these stories, Mora attributed absolutely no lasting significance to this exchange. They simply replied in an equally amiable manner and continued with their journey. As aforementioned, the bus service turns on the Donegal Road, and this is the point where Colette and Mora disembark. After their journey from the shops, this meant that the bus had to be navigate the unfinished roundabout and pass the cottages. The problem was, this time, there were no cottages. Moore and Colette simply viewed a space left over full of debris and building materials for the roundabout. There was no sign of a thatch roof or a whitewashed brick among the rubble, nor a flash of bright pink framed windows. Did these cottages get demolished that same day? Maybe, but then, why would the women bother to be cleaning the windows in such a thoroughly cared-for and obviously lived-in dwelling? Or perhaps there resided a, a disturbed spirit roused from dormancy as the roundabout was being built over the top of the site where their beautiful homes once stood. Now that's cool, and that that I could see, you know. And and it's something that comes up quite a bit: is that construction can awaken the paranormal. You can waken those activities. So they sometimes don't like things to be changed. This one's a little dark, and this is coming out of the U.K. in 2009. Um, It's kind of long, but I'll close with this one, ladies and gentlemen, so I hope you're enjoying it. All right. So we've always seemed to live in a haunted house. Um, This is the second house I'm living in, and at this time of the story we're living in a little village in Leicestershire, called Ashby Magna, and it's a very old village and featured in the Doomsday Book. The house always has a strange feeling to it, and a lot of people dislike coming over to stay. We were the fourth family to live in it, breaking the chain of the house being passed down a certain family. And I always remember a black shadow would follow me around the house every room I went in. Nobody else could see it, and I just got on with it. It was not a particular object, or well, it often changed shape. I would kind of creep up on me in the cor- out of the corner of my eye. The scariest per- com- occurrence I can personally remember was walking, waking up one night and going to the bathroom, and I turned on the light and did my deed and went to wash my hands. I looked up, and in the mirror, I caught the reflection of somebody else in the mirror behind me. I nearly died. I was that scared. I bolted into my parents' bedroom and slept there. I can't remember what it looked like though. It was definitely a male. Whenever I think back on it, my memory of his face changes. Was this a shadow that followed me around? We all knew there was something in the house. It didn't feel harmful or evil, at least not to us, but it wasn't really welcoming either. And we stayed there for about four years before moving. And in that time, my mom developed a type of depression that had to be medically controlled. It wasn't a particularly good time and we moved to the next village along an old farmhouse and the house was sold to some local builders who drank in the same pub as my dad and the bloke who had sold us the same house. My dad got talking to the guy who had sold us the previous house and mentioned this not-so-welcoming feel to it. Over a couple of drinks, the bloke told my dad how tragedy had struck its former residence and how he had refused to live there and sold it. The family... The family to live there before us, the father died unexpectedly of a blood clot in the brain. The brother, the resident before him, had died from blood poisoning, and they amputated his legs but couldn't stop the infection, and it was a nasty way to pass. His wife also died in the house, very young, after complications giving birth, and the original residents of the house both died in the house, but of natural courses. So the house has seen its fair share of death. Yeah, no kidding. Luckily, none of us are dead, <laughs> yeah. and the only lasting effects are my mom's depression, which since she has since been diagnosed with bipolar, which, let me tell you, is hell to live with. The family who moved in after us have also incurred tragedy in the house. Within six months of being there, the father had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and died months later, and his eldest son suffered really bad injuries in a car accident a few years ago. Since we have found out this information, we researched the history of the house and more or less everything he said checked out. The house really seems to emit emit really negative energies or attract really unlucky people. I feel somewhat lucky after the cases of the other people, although we did live there the shortest amount of time. The local villages around the area were all well known for traveling folks such as Romani Gypsies, and legend has it, that the village of Ashby Magna Magna, is built on a Druid burial ground. And yet, I, uh, I am yet to find out if this is 100%, but I know for sure that Druids did settle around the area, so it wouldn't surprise me at all. If anyone has visited the area, I'm sure they will agree that it is a spooky little village and with a very strange feel to it. And again, if the Druids had had settled that area then chances are that is a convergence of ley lines as well um they were very attuned to those natural energies and so they would create um their their villages their temples their holy sites on you know those ley lines and those convergences so i hope you guys enjoyed the show i have always enjoying bringing it to you and i love you all very much and thank you so much for being a part of the portal uh you guys are amazing All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. We got hundreds of shows in our uh, our our vault of <laughs> journeys into the paranormal portal. So I hope you check it uh, check it out, guys. We're over there at YouTube.com/slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So uh, stay tuned. But we love you all. Be good. Be kind. Be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can. Take care, everybody.